H.E. News, episode number 12. Welcome back to another episode of Health Empowerment News with Kraft Woodruff. This week... The raw milk controversy. The raw dairy in BC is under attack. Welcome back, everybody, to Health Empowerment News with Croft Woodruff. My name is Andrew McGivern, and I'm here in the studio. Hello, Croft. Good afternoon, uh, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here, as usual. And today we're going to talk about raw milk. Are Canadians getting a raw deal? Well, we can put it this way, that the milk of human kindness is not pasteurized. Exactly. And, of course, the source of most commercial milk is the modern Holstein cow. It's bred to produce large, very huge quantities, in fact, of milk, three times as much as the old-fashioned cow. And uh, this uh, Holstein needs special feed and antibiotics to keep her well, and therefore her milk contains high levels of growth hormone from her pituitary gland, and even when she is spared the indignities of genetic engineering bovine growth hormone to push her to the utter limits of milk production, pun intended, it's not a very good situation. I mean, who wants to be subjected to uh, growth hormone in the milk? Who wants to be subjected to antibiotics? We already have a situation in, in medical science where more and more... Uh, disease-causing bacteria are antibiotic-resistant, and it's setting up a situation that sooner or later is going to be a real health calamity as far as I can see. Now, of course, uh, in the old days, we used to be able to buy milk from old-fashioned breeds of cows, such as Jersey's, Guernsey's, Red Devon's, uh, Brown Swiss, or older genetic uh, lines of Holsteins, or from goats or sheep. But, you know, here's something else. Depending on what part of the world you live in, you could be accessing milk from, believe it or not, llamas, camels, mares, water buffalo, or reindeer. And we haven't mentioned, of course, goat milk is available and sheep milk. But the bottom line is, is that not likely that it is pasteurized. I can remember... Way back in 1943, living in Vancouver around Gravely and McLean Drive, immediately north of McLean Drive on Gravely, there was this huge vacant lot, one square block. Nowadays, of course, there's some kind of a complex of low rental housing, but it was all bush. And in there, you'd find things like blueberries and other kinds of berries, raspberries and the like. And some people down the street had a nanny goat, a female goat, and she was a milker, and she was feeding in that bushland. That's where she was getting her fresh food. And, of course, I'm sure a lot of that was going on then, and I'm certain that a certain amount of it is going on even today in, in major metropolitan areas. And so a lot more people are consuming raw milk than pasteurized milk when you consider the populations of, of Asia – uh, Eurasia, because as you go further east into Europe and towards the Urals, 
you find that more and more people are living off the land and they are raising uh, goats and sheep and bovine uh, cattle that uh, they can obtain milk from. And, of course, it's only since the um, 19th uh, century that it was Pasteur who came along with the idea, well, we've got to get rid of all these milk-borne diseases. Actually, originally it was for the, the beer and the wine industry. That's right. Louis Pasteur. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to, to use pasteurization on milk to, to eliminate the, the... These disease pathogens these that disease cause pathogens. everything from undulant fever to tuberculosis and uh, so on. If you look into the history, it was partially because of the movement of the farms the dairy farms, into the industrial areas where they were feeding them the pulp from the hops and, uh, and whatnot. So they, were, they took them off of the, the pastures and brought them into these, these factory farms yes. uh, where they were, eating, they were no longer grass-fed. And then, of course, there was all sorts of problems yeah. with, the, with the milk. And then pasteurization was, was one of the answers yeah. instead of Going back to the clean, grass-fed, sanitary conditions, they decided to kill everything in the milk. Yeah, and of course that raises a whole can of worms. I do know this, that uh, uh, where I uh, was born and raised in the southeast interior, certainly in the 1940s and before that even, the dairies were independent, and uh, we had several dairies that you could buy milk from. And um, my folks always got it from one particular dairy. I can't remember the name right now. But there was one dairy that they did avoid because it was too close to the trail smelter. And there was all that fallout from a lead smelter that would contaminate the soil and uh, ultimately whatever's grown on it. And, but eventually these dairies all, uh, beca- they all got a plant together. They called it United Dairies. So all the milk went in there and it was pasteurized. But until that plant was put in place, as far as I have been able to determine, we were not getting pasteurized milk. So it really became in vogue in the the, uh, 1940s and 50s uh, on this continent, except maybe in the larger cities like Vancouver, you know, or Spokane, for instance. But certainly the dairies in the, the Trail Nelson area, they were independent, small farmers, and they milked their cows, and uh, they delivered the milk in glass bottles. But in any case, they, there are so many things that they do with, with milk today, as you point out. It gets all lumped together. And my contention is, is that you'll have farmers, dairymen, who are very particular about how they treat their animals, what they feed them, how well they clean them before they are milked, the cleaning and sterilizing of uh, of the stainless steel utensils that they use to uh, contain the milk. Of course, you've got milking machines and that sort of thing now instead of milking by hand. And that raises another point. When we moved away from Trail to Castlegar from 19, uh, January of 1946 until about, oh, I guess the summer of around 1952, we were getting raw milk from an old Russian lady, Dukabora lady. We called her Granny. She had a Jersey cow, and we got fresh raw milk from her whenever we wanted it, you know, on a more or less every other day basis, and depending on how much milk was being consumed. And I can tell you, from my point of view, I didn't think it was very sanitary, because one time I went to get some milk, and she's ladling it out of this stainless steel 
container, and it might have been aluminum for that matter, I see a big black blowfly floating around on the surface. <laughs> Yummy. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that didn't turn me off from drinking milk. Uh, it was about, I guess, um, it was sometime in the late 40s, I guess, about 1949. I went and got a glass of milk from the fridge, and I took about two sips. That was it. I didn't like it anymore, and I stopped drinking milk. Didn't stop drinking or using milk products like uh, cream and uh, whipping cream or, or cooking with milk, but as far as drinking it straight, raw, or pasteurized, no more. That was it. I just lost taste for it. In my own family's experience, uh, my mother's youngest sister, who is three years my senior, she could not nurse. My grandmother could not nurse her for some reason or another. Uh, I forget exactly what it was, but my grandparents, and they lived in Nelson, they lived way up on the mountainside above uh, what was then the Great Northern Railway Station. This is the railway that came in from Spokane, Washington. And they got some goats. And my aunt thrived very much on goat milk. I didn't like it because I didn't like the taste of it. And that was because the goats were either feeding on their own bedding, which would be urine-soaked, or else they were getting into buckbrush, which apparently can also flavor the milk. But it had a definite goat-like taste. It tasted like goat smell. You know what I mean? And so that turned me off goat milk. But goat milk actually is, uh, is uh, very digestible, as is sheep milk. Anyway, uh, the trouble with pasteurization, it destroys enzymes, it diminishes the vitamin content, it certainly denatures fragile milk proteins, uh, making them uh, maybe even toxic, it destroys vitamin C, it destroys vitamin B12 as well as vitamin B6. There are beneficial bacteria that are very important uh, uh, for uh, milk, uh, making milk cheese and uh, and yogurt and that sort of thing, and promotes the production of pasteurizing promotes therefore the production of uh, pathogens, uh, and it, of course because of the altering of the protein, the calcium is not easily uh, digested and utilized. Uh, so it's aside from being associated with allergies, there's increased uh, susceptibility to tooth decay, colic in infants and even perhaps growth problems in children. Osteoporosis is another issue that can come on later on, uh, arthritis, heart disease, and cancer. There is definitely a connection between homogenized milk and, and heart disease because the um, cholesterol in the milk, which is in the butter fat, the fat molecules are broken down into smaller uh, globules, if you will, so that the fat doesn't rise to the top anymore. So that's, then your body that's has homogenization, to deal putting the milk under pressure and forcing it through small holes to, uh, to keep the milk from separating? That's right, to keep the cream from separating and rising to the top. And, and of course, you see raw milk sours naturally, but pasteurized milk turns putrid. The processors must remove slime and, believe it or not, Pus, which of course is the dead antibiotic, the natural antibiotics that are in the milk, which would benefit the nursing uh, calf, and of course this uh, they use this what's called centrifugal clarification, and of course inspection of dairy herds for disease is not required for pasteurized milk, 
So you've got some sick cows, some diseased cows, and they're not being checked, they're not being inspected. So what do we get? Instead of the highest quality of product, we're getting probably what, uh, milk that is relegated to whatever the lowest common, the quality of the lowest common uh, denominator, if I may put it that way. So uh, instead of having, a, on average, a very high-quality product, you have a low-quality product, uh, maybe within the standards that public health would find acceptable. But anybody interested in, in food quality would certainly, uh, I think, have objections, knowing that uh, the, the milk probably, uh, some of that milk is coming from diseased animals. And, mm-hmm. of course, we know that they do uh, feed cattle antibiotics uh, uh, to treat things like uh, inflamed udder, uh, mastitis, and and other issues. I mean, cows, you know, they're just like anything else. They're only as good as they're fed. For instance, the pasteurizing was really instituted mostly in the 1920s to combat the TB, infant diarrhea, undulant fever, and other diseases basically caused by poor animal nutrition. We've already mentioned the, the problem with dirty production methods, but with the times changing and the modern stainless steel tanks, uh, the milking machines, the refrigerated trucks, the various inspection methods, uh, it makes uh, pasteurization pretty well absolutely necessary uh, you know, for uh, public protection. So this is where the public health authorities are really coming from. Pasteurization does not always kill the bacteria for a condition called Jones disease, a condition that's uh, suspected of causing Crohn's disease. Jones disease is is spelled J-O-H-N-E apostrophe S. And, of course, Crohn's disease in humans is which most uh, confinement cows are infected, Uh, this Jones disease. Much commercial milk is now ultra-pasteurized to get rid of uh, heat-resistant bacteria, give it a longer shelf life. Ultra-pasteurization is a violent process that takes milk from a chilled temperature to above the boiling point in less than two seconds. Clean raw milk from certified healthy cows is available commercially in several of the United States, and it may be bought directly from the farm in many more. The real cows are fed green green grass. Uh, They might as well be feeding some of these cows powdered glass, I should say. But no, in the spring, they get green grass, also in the summer and the fall. Stored dry hay uh, from silage, hay and root vegetables in winter. It's not soy meal, cottonseed meal, or other commercial feeds. Nor is it bakery waste, chicken manure, or citrus peel cake laced with pesticides. This is what a lot of dairies, these big dairies, are feeding their cows. Vital nutrients like vitamin A and D, and what is known as prices activator, believed to be vitamin K2, are greatest in milk from cows eating green grass, especially rapidly growing green grass in the spring and fall. Vitamin A and D are greatly diminished, and uh, this activator X, otherwise referred to as vitamin K2, disappears. When milk cows are fed commercial feed, this is what you can expect to happen. Soy meal has the wrong protein profile for the dairy cow. You know, this is totally absurd what they're doing or allowed to do. 
and that results in short bursts of high milk production followed by premature death of the cow. Most milk, even most milk labeled organic, and you have to watch this, comes from dairy cows that are kept in confinement their entire lives, and they never see green grass. The average butterfat content from old-fashioned cows at the turn of the 19th to the 20th century was over 4% or more than 50% of calories. Today, butterfat comprises less than 3% or less than 35% of calories. Worse, consumers have been duped into believing that low-fat and skim milk products are good for them. Only by marketing low-fat and skim milk as a health food can the modern dairy industry get rid of its excess poor-quality low-fat milk from modern high-production herds. Butterfat contains vitamin A and D needed for assimilation of calcium and protein in the water fraction of the milk. Without them, protein and calcium are more difficult to utilize and possibly toxic. Butterfat is rich in short and uh, medium chain fatty acids, which protect against disease and stimulate the immune system. It contains glycospinolipids. I'll spell that out. It's G-L-Y-C-O-S-P-I-N-G-O-lipids, L-I-P-I-D-S. So glycospingolipids perhaps is the right pronunciation for that which prevents intestinal distress, and also it contains conjugated linoleic acid, which has strong anti-cancer properties. Powdered skim milk, of course, is the source of dangerous oxidized cholesterol and neurotoxic amino acids. It's added to 1% and 2% milk. Low-fat yogurts and uh, sour creams contain mucopolysaccharide slime to give them body. Pale butter from hay-fed cows contains coloring. It's actually a vegetable coloring matter, anatto, to make it look like vitamin-rich butter from grass-fed cows. Bioengineered enzymes are used in large-scale cheese production. Many mass-produced cheese contain additives and colorings, and imitation cheese products contain vegetable oils, like the cheese slices and the gee whiz cheese that you can spread out like, you know, it's quite syrupy in a way. Pasteurization does favor large, and the laws certainly favor large industrialized dairy operations, and they squeeze out the small independent farmers. When farmers have the right to sell unprocessed milk to consumers, they can make a decent living, even with small herds. And you can be very sure, knowing uh, that uh, they would be susceptible to horrendous lawsuits, you know, that would be bankrupting if they were careless in uh, their handling of their cattle and, uh, and the milk they get from their cattle, ca- you know, cattle. Uh, they want to be extra careful in what they do compared to uh, mass dairy production where the, 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 the herbs are not being checked. And so we're getting milk that is really questionable in terms of uh, purity and quality. And so buyer beware. And that's why there are many people who know this and they prefer to get raw milk. Well, like you, I don't drink, I don't drink milk. I have it a little bit in, in tea or, or coffee. But if I was to drink milk, I would, I would drink raw milk. And I think that people should have the, the option to, to choose raw milk. Like I said, you know, uh, the dairyman, he's the one that's going to be on the uh, pointed edge of a lawsuit if he slips up in the way he uh, 
runs his operation. I mean, if he's got hygienic standards, I mean, if you, I know about one dairy that I used to actually carry their products, although they had to be pasteurized because of British Columbia's law on pasteurization. But it was Altadena Dairy in Southern California. And they, uh, of course, everything is washed and sterilized. Uh, when the cows are bought in, they, they're, the cows are uh, washed down. The udder uh, is is cleaned, and then it's dried with a towel, with a fresh terry towel, and then the cow is milked. And that terry towel is then used in washing the udder of the next cow, and then a fresh terry towel is used to dry that udder. So it's very, very hygienic in what they're doing. And I know that the public health authorities in California, they have done their best to try and nail this dairy uh, in terms of oh, fecal matter in the milk, this, that, or the other thing in the milk. They've never been able to prove anything. And now that when I hear about this uh, test with this dairy up the valley, where they're supposed to have uh, feces in the well, milk. it's interesting because I've been following cheese. the... I've been following the Glenn Colton farm mm-hmm. battle back east mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Michael Schmidt's farm. Mm-hmm. And while I was looking into that, I also looked into raw milk available in BC mm-hmm. and I found home on the range farms. And mm-hmm. I was actually thinking of, of trying it. Mm-hmm. But then recently health authorities have issued a cease and desist order mm-hmm. uh, against them. And then later they tested their products and, and supposedly found fecal matter. Well, I tell you, I would demand that the tests be done independently uh, from three different sources. And they did. Just to keep them honest. And they did, and they refused to to uh, hand back the samples to have them tested. They had them destroyed, mm-hmm. poured down the drain with, with bleach. That's known as destroying the evidence, folks. And yes. that doesn't uh, say much for the integrity of our public health officials, does it? They're also refusing to release the lab results. So yeah, and I think on the basis of a court case, an honest judge had throw the whole thing out. Of course, the, the media, when they, when they reported this, they didn't include those facts. They just included the fact that they've been charged, uh, found with fecal matter, and anybody who has these products should pour them down the drain. Yeah, that, that, you know, this is, uh, talk about tampering with evidence, uh, you know, which, of course, if, uh, if you or I did such a thing, they'd come down on us like a ton of bricks. Well, the, they're going, uh, apparently they're charging them with, they're going to file a a lawsuit uh, and charge the, the BC Center for Disease Control with obstruction of justice. I think they should also charge him with um, with uh, tampering with evidence by refusing to uh, give uh, the samples, by destroying uh, the, the evidence they claim to have uh, against uh, the dairy. I think they could be nailed on several fronts as far as uh, what has happened here. And it certainly doesn't say much, for, as I say, for the integrity of our public health authorities. I mean, their job, of course, is to protect public health, but uh, I noticed that they've slipped up in several areas, which we're not going to go into right now. Well, BC's top health officer, Dr. Perry Kendall, mm-hmm. has warned consumers that the consumption of unpasteurized milk can cause serious illness, long-term diseases, or death, mm-hmm. and that they're especially dangerous for young children, seniors, and mm-hmm. those with weakened immune systems. So uh, where are the bodies well, that's a good question. Where are the bodies, uh, Dr. Kendall? You say there's no credible evidence to show that raw milk is better than uh, pasteurized milk? Yes. Well, uh, the fact is, Dr. Kendall, uh, 
Raw milk is consumed by a far greater number of people in Eurasia, Africa, and the Middle East, and by, com- by comparison to those in the Western world who consume pasteurized milk. People in Eurasia and in, um, well, the, uh, depending on where you are, if you're in Lapland, there's reindeer milk, right? Uh, I'm sure it's not pasteurized. In fact, I know it's not pasteurized. Uh, there's milk from water buffalo. Now, water buffalo, you find them in Southeast Asia. You'll find them in India and in Africa. So uh, these people don't have the facilities to be pasteurizing it. They, the milk goes right from the, from the cow to the family in whatever container they have. In fact, if public health authorities were more concerned about clean, potable water, they would be doing a far greater service than uh, what they are doing in these cases. You have goat milk, camel milk. I mean, that's something that you'll find in the desert areas of this world where there are, where there are camels. Uh, there's yak milk. There's uh, milk from uh, horses and people. And it's Mongolia where they uh, have yak milk and also mare's milk. You've got um, even, I found out just recently, even in South America, the milk from the llama. Hmm. It can be uh, is uh, is potable. And there it is. So people all over the world are are drinking raw milk from various animals. That's right. And so where are the bodies? And basically, there is a Canada wide ban on the distribution of raw milk. It's mm-hmm. not illegal to drink it. Mm-hmm. And if you own your own cow, mm-hmm. you're completely. It's it's completely legal to drink your own milk from your own cow. Yeah. So these, but your um, neighbor can't take the risk. Well, these dairies that are setting themselves up to distribute raw milk Mm -hmm. aren't really selling the milk. They're selling shares in the ownership in the cow. That's right. That's why they're trying to get around it legally. So that means you'll have to be a court case on that score. But I want to see the evidence come into court that we have public health officials that are actually tampering with evidence to try and make their case. And that is illegal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that's an issue we'll have to follow very carefully. In the UK, you can buy raw milk at mm-hmm. farmer's markets and, mm-hmm. and various other areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes with a warning on the bottle mm-hmm. that says may contain uh, harmful bacteria. Well, now, raw milk actually doesn't contain harmful bacteria. It has natural antibiotics that are in the milk to deal with harmful bacteria, and that is a fact. And that is one reason why raw milk, when it sours, it sours naturally and it is usable, unlike, unlike pasteurized milk, which rots and is putrid. Yes, on realmilk.com, it's a website put out by the Weston Price mm-hmm. Foundation. They have a court case, a transcript of expert testimony from a couple experts in, in the field of, of milk biology. Mm-hmm. And they give in detail the, the explanations of exactly what you just said, how there's, there's enzymes and factors in the milk that uh, naturally deal with any of these you know, salmonella and... and all, all, all the other pathogens mm-hmm. that are that are supposedly in the in the raw milk. I would be more concerned about drinking pasteurized milk that is laced with antibiotics, uh, as well like penicillin, for instance. But there are other antibiotics that they're using now, as well as things like bovine growth hormone, the synthetic one that makes old bossy give more milk. One of the most insulting things I ever heard was uh, this head of a pseudo consumer. A group which uh, was more or less in the business of supporting industry rather than the consumer, 
But this woman was saying, uh, the PhD from Harvard, by the way, she was saying with um, bovine growth hormone, that you can get more milk out of the cow on less feed. Well, if you want quality milk, the, the cow is going to have to pay a price. They're just going to milk it on less feed. You know, and so where, where, what happens? Uh, the cow loses in the bones and is more susceptible to inflammation of the udder and other infections. This is absolutely insane. And, of course, the Humane Society should be taking up their cudgels on this issue as well. So uh, more, milk from, uh, more milk from less feed, certainly uh, breaking the laws of equilibrium. In other words, you can only get out of something whatever you put into it, right? And, of course, if you're going to feed the cow on the short end of the stick, then that's what you're going to get out of the udder is the short end of the stick. And people should really wake up to that fact and, uh, and hold our public health officials and our politicians who buy into this crap to account. Well, more and more people, I think, are starting to understand the benefits of, of raw milk. And I don't think it's something that's on the top of most people's mind. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to be a major You only issue. have a small part of the population that is aware of the benefits of raw milk. And, and of course, they're the ones that will be the victims of public health diktat. Uh, there's one thing I wanted to mention. At the outset, we did say that the milk of human kindness is not pasteurized. I'm surprised that Dr. Kendall doesn't go raging into the hospitals and demand that all the infants be put on bottled milk. Why, you know, pasteurized Pasteurized milk. Mother's, mother's milk. Mother's milk or milk formula, of course. A whole lot of difference between what's in human milk. And, of course, when the infant is born, the colostrum is in the mother's breast. It's available only for a couple of days. It is vital for so many things, such as immunizing the infant from a number of diseases, including diarrhea, different bacillus that may infect the gastrointestinal tract uh, and supplies uh, beneficial bacteria. Uh, it acts as a laxative and is the only substance that can effectively clean out the meconium that is in the infant's gastrointestinal tract. Uh, meconium is the earliest stool of an infant. Unlike the later feces, meconium is composed of materials ingested during the time the infant spends in the uterus. Uh, intestinal epithelial cells, lanugo, and of course mucus, amniotic fluid, bile, and water. Uh, that's what can be in uh, the components of the intestinal uh, contents. This meconium, and I should spell that out, it's M-E-C-O-N-I-U-M, is almost sterile, and unlike the later feces of the infant, it's viscous and sticky like tar, and it has no life, with the stools progressing towards yellow, which, of course, is the digested mother's milk. Interesting. Again, the milk of human kindness is not pasteurized. So what do you think the solution is here in terms of regulating the, the raw milk industry if there, if, if there ever is going to be a raw milk industry? Well, I think that they uh, definitely, the dairy uh, that is selling raw milk, they have to conform to hygienic and, you know, the disease standards. In other words, the cows are regularly inspected for, for disease. And the conditions of the, of the dairy in terms of sanitation, all of these things that uh, lead up to the milking of the cow and the cleaning of the udder, 
and uh, making sure that the animal, uh, no fecal matter is going to get into. It's very difficult to happen anyways from the standpoint. You clean the udder. You've got the, uh, the little tubes that fit over the cow's teats mm-hmm. to, to pull the milk out. And so how is it going to get in there? That's why I'm very suspicious of, of these claims that the milk was contaminated or the milk product was contaminated with feces, presumably uh, cow feces. Uh, how else is it going to get in there? If they were doing it by hand, then you, you might have something to, to talk about. But I know that Altadena Dairy, they have milking machines and they're very thorough in cleaning everything. Uh, from the udder to uh, the uh, equipment that uh, draws the milk out and uh, stores the milk as well. So that sounds like a lot of work, regulating uh, all those those processes. It might just be easier to slap on a ban. Yeah, well, that's about the size of it. But the that raises, of course, the question, why aren't they spe- inspecting the other cattle out there for disease and for uh, things like penicillin and other antibiotics in the milk? as well as uh, g- growth hormone that's supposed to give, make Bossy give more milk than uh, uh, what uh, she would otherwise be capable of uh, producing on uh, less feed. You know, it just, it just boggles the mind. I don't have a problem if they, wanna, if, if they believe that there is a, a small risk of contamination or a small risk of bacteria being present in the milk that they require a label put on. Mm-hmm. The, the people who, who are going to these raw milk dairies aren't just walking into a grocery store and, and unknowingly buying raw milk. They, right. They've done their research and they've they done. have seeked out the raw milk to the point where they buy a share in a cow. Yeah. And so these people, in my opinion, have the right to drink this milk. Well, I think it's a charter of rights issue for sure. Uh, but I should, uh, I should like to see an investigation done of of those who uh, took these samples and those who did the sampling or testing and threw out the those samples and uh, or, or or didn't split the samples and destroyed the the split samples that is you know tampering with evidence that's also obstructing uh, justice as far as i'm concerned and that basically is the long and the short of it there's other products on the market that are known to be harmful such as tobacco and alcohol yes actually they you're do right. put these labels on them mm-hmm. and uh, there's scientific evidence to prove that they're harmful mm-hmm. beyond a shadow of a doubt cigarettes are the number one killer apparently and then alcohol is the next and they have uh, they have a label on every package saying warning causes lung cancer, causes emphysema, causes this, causes that. Well, just throw on a label on this raw milk saying mm-hmm. uh, may contain bacteria, harmful bacteria. Mm-hmm. And that should be it. The yeah. consumer uh, is warned. Mm-hmm. And even though the risk is low, mm-hmm. uh, slap a label on there and allow people to make their own choices. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very interesting uh, with regard to this whole issue when it comes into court. We'll, we'll be following it very closely. There's another issue, too, uh, because there, raw milk was never made illegal in Canada to consume. It's only been made illegal to, to sell. To sell, And it's, raw milk is not under the jurisdiction of the, the milk and dairy boards. No. And as Michael Schmidt said, health isn't the issue. Control is, is the, the issue. issue. That's right. So it's the strongest opponents to the raw dairy industry are the, is the dairy industry itself. 
and they just don't want the competition. And with raw milk, because it's a specialized service, it allows individual farms, small farms, to survive, to survive and and prosper and and make a living. Yeah, all all these people that are great exponents of the free enterprise system, the you know good old free enterprise, the right to compete, uh, they should be up in arms, and that means uh, every uh, government uh, in the country that got elected on a you know free enterprise uh, platform. Now, where are they? Dairy boards and wheat boards, all of these different organizations that create a monopoly. And allow, and really, all it's doing is 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 supporting the the very large players in the industry, and squeezing out the individual family-owned farms. And the end result is we end up with product that is less uh, optimum in terms of uh, nutritional standards, and in terms of hygienic and other standards of cleanliness and contamination. Yep. So. If you care about raw milk, maybe um, you should contact... Your MLA? Yeah, maybe you should. Anybody in Ontario uh, who have been following this uh, they and are interested in, in the right to access raw, raw milk, uh, they should be contacting their uh, member of the provincial parliament and, and get some action going. Okay. I believe that wraps up this episode yeah again my thanks to uh, information from uh, the weston price uh, foundation uh, for um, much of the information regarding uh, what's involved uh, in the quality of uh, raw milk versus pasteurized milk and also there is a book called touching and uh, you know something i forgot the name of the author i don't know if i have it here or not it's called touching yes touching and it's about milk? It's, uh, no, it's just uh, milk is involved because uh, touching involves infant nursing at the mother's breast. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Children who are uh, fed raw milk and, and nursed longness on their mother's milk, which, of course, is raw milk anyway, unless they're exceedingly stupid, children who are breastfed the longest tend to be the smartest and they grow bigger and they're much healthier. Uh, and that is a fact. There was a gentleman uh, named Jerry Bernetti, mm-hmm. and he has a video, uh, which is actually a lecture that he did while he was in Australia. It's called mm-hmm. Food as Medicine, mm-hmm. and he is a cancer survivor, mm-hmm. and basically the lecture is about uh, his his battle with cancer and how he overcame it using food, mm-hmm. and his lecture, he talks about the cancer industry uh, for the first probably 35 minutes of the lecture mm-hmm. uh, and the problems that he sees with current cancer therapy and 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 methods of treatment then he goes into all the foods the mm-hmm. the cruciferous vegetables and uh, all sorts of other thing all sorts of other um uh, foods that you should take uh, to prevent or or to treat cancer mm-hmm. and then he also talks about uh raw milk mm-hmm. and it was interesting what he did he um he took his his own blood and injected it into the udder of a non-gestating cow. Mm-hmm. And then when it produced milk, he drank the milk. Now, his theory is, is that the, the cow produced antibodies for his uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah, so this is a blood disease, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and uh, drank the milk 
from uh, the cow that he had injected his own blood into. It mm-hmm. sounds weird, but this guy, his whole he, he's in the in the cow serum industry. Basically, mm-hmm. he makes serums for cows, so he knows he knows what he's doing. He had a friend also who who had cancer, and he gave him his his milk milk that was from his blood, I guess, mm-hmm. and. And he got well as uh, as mm-hmm. well. So it's interesting because it wasn't the antibodies were for him, but it worked for well. Other it ma- it makes sense from the standpoint that I mean, this is what immunology is all about: is to stimulate the immune system uh, to uh, attack whatever is uh, attacking you. And uh, therefore, by uh, he's got cancerous blood or blood that has a type of cancer floating around in it. In this case, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so it's injected into the cow. The cow's own immune system turns on and produces antibodies, right? This is what we're looking at. And then he drinks the milk from that cow's udder. And, of course, it only has one udder anyway, but um, trying to be funny. (laughs) Uh, The long and the short of it is is that that, in turn, uh, stimulates his immune system to uh, turn on those proteins. Mm Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, that's what helped him with his cancer or not, it's we'll only an know until uh, they do more of the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah, but nobody's interested in doing cow serum studies. No, because uh, you got to have money for those studies, and uh, and you got to have a payoff at the end. And the payoff at the end is to patent the product. But the trouble with patenting a product, you have situations where, right now in Canada, there is a um, a chemo drug that. It's about $22,000, I think. I'm not sure uh, just what the total uh, cost per year would be, but it seems that some provinces aren't willing to put up the money for that treatment. And uh, you have a situation where people from, say, Nova Scotia, where it may not be available, can come to British Columbia and get it instead because this provincial health service will... Pay for that drug, whereas the, in Nova Scotia theirs won't. Now I'm just using in Nova Scotia as an uh, as an example. It may not necessarily be that province, but there are apparently a couple of provinces in Canada that will not pay for that therapy. Hmm. Interesting. And it's pretty expensive at twenty two thousand. Well, obviously this has to do with the costs of production, but also the payoff in terms of patent rights and uh, royalties. We have that kind of a situation with other uh, drugs. I can think of one called Herbitux. And a drug like that is about $2,300 a, a treatment. And it goes on for a whole year. And after the year, the tumors have shrunk, but the patient's dead. Hmm. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for this episode. Uh, I will put some links in the show notes at foodsornotdrugs.com. Uh, if you're listening to this through iTunes or through another source and you're not listening to it right from the webpage, you can go to www.foodsornotdrugs.com. I'll have the links to realmilk.org. I'll have a, a link to the video Food, food as Medicine, Jerry uh, Bernetti's lecture. And, of course, how about my email address, uh, croft.woodruff at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Croft is C-R-O-F, as in Frank, T as in Thomas, dot Woodruff, W-O-O-D-R-U-F, as in Frank, F as in Frank, 
at gmail.com. And if you have any questions for Croft for one of our upcoming episodes, uh, you can email him at croft.woodruff at gmail.com. Just put in the, in the subject health empowerment news, and he'll know that you're referring to the show. Yeah, because I'd appreciate uh, getting feedback and, uh, and also being challenged because, uh, you know, we do make mistakes and we need to be sure that we're accurate. And you can reach me at andrew at foodsornotdrugs.com. And also, if you look to the right of the page, we do have a little donation button. So if you appreciate the content and you'd like to us to continue, we are doing this for free. We're not charging for the podcast. And, and we're not expecting payment, but if you uh, if would like to donate a dollar or two, uh, some people, when they're listening to podcasts that they, that they value, they donate a dollar, two dollars a month, small amount. Uh, and it's it's very appreciated. Yes, it helps to pay for gasoline to get here because I have a good distance to travel. So, and also for equipment, and we can always we we always want to upgrade our our show and make it sound better. And that's about it for this week. Thank you very much, Andrew. As usual. All right, we'll see you next week.